Europe will not leave Africa to thrive. And this is what is very uh, disheartening for me because they say we will give them aid, but nobody ever defines what aid is. Right. Today's episode has some discussion of very dark acts and dark events and dark themes. It's a conversation that covers a lot of the crimes of colonialism and colonialism is a word that should conjure up within you an idea of the types of things that we might talk about. War crimes, genocide and terrible things like that, violence, are the kinds of things that today's conversation discusses. Also lots of other things, it's not all about the darkness, in fact part of this conversation is about the way that we don't talk about anything but darkness when we talk about Africa. And obviously this is a content note to give people some idea of what's coming up, but I'd just like to make a plea to you if you are someone like me who's got white skin, who's descended from people who have committed crimes against other cultures in the name of empire if you're someone like me then i urge you to listen to this conversation and it might be hard to listen to there might be hard topics talked about those topics might be a little bit triggering for personal events that you've had in your lives but i think it's really important for people who benefit from colonialism to really know what colonialism is all about Also in this conversation, we talk about two shows, a show that I've made and a show that my guest is making. You can see both of those shows on the 18th of February at the Dog Star in Brixton. Doors open at 7.30. It's pay what you think the shows are worth or whatever you can afford. So come along and see those shows live on the 18th at the Dog Star in Brixton. I wanted to know what would make my father such a brutal person. So I started to do research for my own personal healing. And then when I discovered was just a catalogue of dark, hideous stuff. So it's like, I feel like I have no choice. It's, mm. uh, this is what I have to do. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Jambi. Hello Jambi. Hello. (laughs) So the first question that I ask everybody is how do you know me? Well, I met you one night when I was telling a story uh, about the loss of my father and about the history, the very tragic history, the Kenyan history, colonial history. And I did a five-minute slot at Spark Storytelling. You came afterwards and talked to me, and it was very nice because you offered me a space where I could tell tragic stories. <laughs> <laughs> and I have very many, and that's how I have known you. Yeah, right, exactly. You do have, you do have a lot of tragic stories. <laughs> yeah, um, tragedy is me. I've sort of, uh, I've heard them in lots of different kinds of ways, I guess, since knowing you. I've mostly, yeah, I mostly ever only see you when you're talking about tragedy, mind you. Yeah. So we met at that, that spark night, and I remember that story very well. Yes. It was, because it was 
what stood out to me when you when you told it then as well is that I mean Spark is kind of a, a about kind of spontaneous true storytelling yes. and what you had brought along to that was obviously the start of a more theatrical piece and as someone who I, I enjoy both those kind of things I, I thought yes this is perfect for for what, what I do at Stand Up Tragedy yeah. uh, although I mean even that was you know hard work for the audience yes. and for you I think because yeah. you're talking about very personal things of course. and for me personally I find like I, I like your work because oh, it makes for loads of reasons there are lots of strengths to it I think but but one of the things that I guess draws me to your work is the fact that it makes me feel guilty and complicated <laughs> about my, my own self my own race my uh, my my own kind of past my, oh, my heritage yes. and I think and I think that's good I think it's good for people like me to feel uncomfortable not to go around going on about it not sure, going like oh sure, my god my guilt's sure. more important than the sure. actual rep- like trying to make some kind of reparation sure. um, but it's kind of good to be challenged in this world that doesn't challenge that narrative very often I sure. think but, but the good thing for me meeting someone like you is because sometimes when you read about history and especially uh, British history and what they've done around the world you, you almost you can almost taint everybody right with that brush yeah but then i come across somebody like you who is so similar to me you're you're sympathetic you're empathetic and the reason that you're feeling guilty about these things is because it is shameful thing for another human being to do to another human being and therefore telling me that you are very decent and there are very many people who are decent and therefore so it does help me Understanding that the, the atrocities that have been committed are committed by bad people right. uh, who happen to be British. Right. And it's not everybody. And that, that's, that's, that's important. And also the way you've welcomed me and given me a platform to be able to talk about this is very encouraging. Like my platform isn't as big as I'd like it to be when I'm, when I'm helping other people to get, it, get onto it. But I, I definitely think that's important. It's still a platform. Yeah, no, I th- and I think it's important mm. um, for, for people to, in my structural position, to, to think about that. To yes. think about how people like me are so mm. often like, privileged by so many things. Yeah. And if there's any way that we can yes. uh, destabilise that privilege, yeah. the, the, we should take it. I don't think I'm, I'm doing anywhere near enough. Uh, to do that but I mean I think it's important that people do and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be able to do it occasionally yeah well I think by pure recognition and that's all people seek is pure recognition is that uh, people and I say people a few aristocratic men a few years ago did ordered very nasty things to happen and actually thinking about the world today, they're still doing it. Right. But but the mood in Britain today, where, when I see all my Facebook book friends, you know, talking about their despair about what is happening to Syria, right. I feel a sense of belonging. I belong with these people. I don't care whether you're white or black or, or whatever, but I belong with these people who feel very strongly that something bad is happening. Right. And therefore, it, it, what you're doing is right because we, it unifies people to show actually there are decent people and uh, just because I happen to be the same race or the same color as the people who perpetrated bad things to your race or whatever I, I stand away from them and that's important is it, putting things into context right I mean I, I yeah I thoroughly agree with that and I've, I've that's one of the reasons I've enjoyed your work so much mm, uh, but also it, it's one of the other things that I like about your work is that it does make people feel awkward <laughs> right? or awkwardness yeah. and I, I think awkwardness is, is 
it's it's an art form or part of an of art forms that I always enjoy. Like I like to to get on stage and to bring up awkward subjects. And yes. to, I like to be. I like to feel awkward with a room of people, <laughs> yes. and then we all kind of go, "Okay, we yes. feel awkward together." <laughs> yes, that's, that's okay. Yes, um, and and it's kind of fascinating to see to see you you do your comedy and your storytelling because it's you know from there's so many levels. The 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 actual work itself is funny. I mean, I don't want to make out that it's not funny. No. Although I think people don't know if they're allowed to laugh. <laughs> they are. Yeah, no, I know they are, but I, I yeah. think people are always nervous to that's do that, right. and I think that's. I think that's good. I think, again, it's good to be wondering, am I allowed? Should I laugh? Yeah. You know, because sometimes we shouldn't, maybe, or whatever. Yeah. It's good to think about that and sure. not just say, oh, yeah, I'll laugh without thinking. Yeah. You know, it's great yeah. that you make people think. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't yeah. like to suggest that it's not really funny. And, and, and that's okay, because I, I recognise that I, I tend to talk about serious subjects. You know, I am not just talking about, you know, there's a lot of silly things that people talk about. That's that's not my genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by default, I know there are always going to be uncomfortable things that, uh, and people are going to be thinking, should I laugh or should I not laugh? And that's okay. We are, you know, I'm challenging the norms and uh, challenging the stereotypes. As right. Well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and so, yeah, the second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Uh, now I am doing a mixture of things. Comedy is is my baby, but I have other babies too. I I am writing a book, and this book is actually based on the show. Right. Yeah. And uh, touch wood, I've been very fortunate. I, I've had someone come on board, a literary agent who is working with me, and uh, she seems she she seems to like the the, <laughs> the uncomfortableness <laughs> in my storytelling. So she's she's come on board and. Uh, so hopefully, you know, we're going to get this book published. You know, I was doubting for a very long time whether we're going to get it published. We're going to, hopefully, touch wood, we're going to get it published. So I'm writing, that's, that's what I'm dedicating majority of my time to. Right. But then having said that, I still want to keep my, my foot in, in the shows. So I'm writing an Edinburgh show as well. How is going to work? I don't know. But I'm going to have to make it work because I, too, I suppose two of they are synonymous because the show that I, I think you have seen a little bit of this right. is called uh, The Last Dance with My Father. Right. And this is what triggered all of this stuff up. And so uh, The Last Dance with My Father is a very challenging one. Having seen uh, the, the, the horrendous uh, childhood that my father had, what impact did it have on his parenting style and parenting skills? So that that is the show. So it's, it's quite a, a dark show. Yeah. <laughs> Would you expect anything less from me? Not at all. It's, it's quite a dark show, but I, I'm hoping to make it humorous. Uh, so I'm working on that as well, simultaneously, as well as uh, having my day job. Well, I call it day job, but it's my job that pays me. You, you, yeah. know, you need a job that pays you. So I'm, I'm still doing that, and that's the reason why I'm very, very tired, because I still have to work to earn money, but I still have to gig in the evenings, and I still have to write and do right. all of this. Yeah, so very tired. Actually, interestingly, some, some people uh, came to film today, and I woke up with a sty. I don't know if you can see a sty. I put loads of makeup on. No, I can't. You are wearing a lot of makeup, though. So just, I am. Yeah. That will help to cover it. Yeah, I mean, what is it? what is it that makes you want to take dark material and make it funny? Um, circumstance, really, circumstance, because um, all of this was brought about by the death of my father, and um, for, for, for me, it just opened up a very raw chapter in my life, 
and I wanted to know what would make my father such a brutal person. So I started to do research for my own personal healing. And then when I discovered was just a catalogue of dark, hideous stuff. So it's like I feel like I have no choice. It's, mm. uh, this is what I have to do. And naturally, I, I wouldn't normally just choose dark stuff. I just find myself in a dark situation that requires right. me to do that sort of thing. And I needed to do this. I needed to do it for myself. I needed to do it for my uh, for my people. I needed to also do it for people who have been in the situation. And there are many people who have been in these situations. And so I wanted to... I, I feel like I have no choice but to cover this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I guess... And, and so that's and that's what made you have to talk about these subjects. Yeah. But but why make them funny? Why not just make them play them straight? Because at the end of the day... <laughs> I think very dark stories can be told with humour and people then can, can enjoy the stories. Right. Because And I, I, know, I know most people, they, maybe people who are going through hardship in their lives, they don't want, if your life is already miserable, you don't want to go and watch a miserable, miserable show. But I also know that there are some people who want to see thought-provoking stuff but they also want to laugh at it. Yeah. Uh, and I actually do like that some show, to watch shows that play around with your heartstrings, not just, you know talking about the usual silliness that people sometimes talk about. So those I find are disinteresting. Whereas if you go to listen to a story about a, a heart, you know, heart-rendering story, it's more enriching for you as a person, I feel. Yeah. Uh, and if it's funny, even better. Right. And therefore, uh, I just want maybe to make it slightly more digestible for people. But having said that, you know, storytelling is becoming really huge. Uh, and it has been huge. Like in my society, storytelling is, uh, is what TV is today. Right. P- people just used to sit around the fire and tell stories. Right. And therefore, it's a very integral part of my, my society. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I yeah. think, well, I think, you know, yeah. most cultures, yeah. I mean, all cultures, I guess, when you get right back to, to where, where everything starts, started with telling stories around fires. Yeah. Storytelling, obviously, is something that I'm very interested in and I sort of see a lot of it. Yeah. But I think it is a, a kind of an interesting thing to make darkness funny. And, to, you know, and that's definitely something I'm interested in doing. I don't always yeah. choose to do it, but yeah. it's definitely nice to have that weapon in your arsenal when you're deciding how to make it entertaining yeah but 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 even when it comes to things like films i've never been really interested in like big blockbusters and stuff like that so i've always liked stories that are dark and funny and my my favorite all-time film is pulp fiction which was very violent but ultimately very funny yeah i suppose i'm that way inclined yeah Uh, and uh you have to be to to tell you know, to, to write shows about mass murder of people. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's also something else, is, is that when you are in dark moments, and I've, I've never been in a dark moment, yeah. a lot as, as dark as some of the moments that you talk about, yeah. like mass murder, but it's sometimes at the darkest moments, all you can do is laugh, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of true as well to laugh at these things, because that's what we do yeah. you know, in our worst moments. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, having interviewed my mother about her time in, in all those concentration camps, how they laughed. Right. And you think, how can you laugh? And they just do. You find yourself in a situation and you settle down into that situation and they laughed. So even people in very dark places, uh, they, they laugh. Right. Uh, and therefore laughter is either a coping mechanism or just to show you how adaptable human beings are that you get to a point where, and I'm sure there are moments, there are dark, dark moments in history where you would find still there might be 
laughed at there were people who, who find something to laugh about mm. even though when they're in a very dire situation right mm. I mean I think that's yeah I think that's true I think I, I definitely have found it to be true in my life yeah. um, and, and and often that's the those are the that's the way to push that darkness back a little yeah. and just have those moments of just yeah. like how, how everything's ridiculous yeah. as well as terrible yeah. and and that's a moment of, re- of relief. Yeah, right. Yeah. Writing a book makes yeah. sense. Yes. Like having seen the the, the three shows now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're in the middle of making this new show, and yeah. I've seen, I've seen the first two at least parts of them. The second one I've seen completely. Yes. And the first one I've seen most of. I yeah. think. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that I think that those shows probably tie in very nicely with the book you're writing. Right? Yes. It, like they do. That, that's basically almost you started writing the book when you yeah. were writing those shows. That's right. And they, they feed off each other. And therefore, what my father didn't give me when he was alive, he's probably giving me now when he's dead, right. which is bitterly ironic. I would say this is all down to, to uh, the death of my father and my, my, my challenge to try to come to an understanding of what he was and who he was and what he wasn't. Right. And uh, that's kind of, of the journey that I take. Right. It, yeah. So and it's interesting because, I mean, it started with the death of your father. Yes. Um, and that's what kind of made you look at your... Well, mm. your, your, the history, his, mm. his life, your mum's life, what, what brought you to where you are mm. in the world now... Mm. But you've, you, you're only just getting to the bit about him, yes. right? Like you, were, you were pushed back so far that you had to... Like, yeah. The first show is about yeah. Kenyan history. Yes. The second show is about your own history. That's and now, right. you're, you're, now you're with him. That's right. Uh, and, and it's now reaching a place of understanding who my father was and what made him. What kind of uh, a person do you become when you spend all your life uh, being beaten and abused in the streets? Right. You know, what kind of humanity develops inside you? I've come to a place of really finally accepting my father and uh, sometimes wishing if he was alive, I would now look at him in a, with very different classes. Whereas, you know, when when I never understood him, he, he to me he was just uh, something, an object that I never really understood. And uh, it has been a very important one for me, uh, just going through this journey. And uh, I, 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 like I said... I was thrown by circumstance, and now I find myself in this situation. And it has uh, got me into writing. You know, I've, I've always thought, well, when I was younger, I've always thought, oh, one day I'm going to be a writer. And then when my father died, I thought, ah, this is the time. This is the time. So, and uh, I've, I've also discovered that I've got so many things to say. <laughs> Surprise. And this is why I started writing a series of blogs. You've seen some of my blogs. Yeah. And I want to talk about, um, and especially, you know, the, 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 the portrayal of Africa, you know, by the Western media, is something that is very shocking and uh, disappointing. And so we are always portrayed as this, you know, stone-throwing, uh, homosexual bashing, you know, backward, uh, illiterate, uh, I, I don't know, uh, migrants who... <laughs> You know, if we don't drown, (laughs) then we're here for the benefits. But in essence, we are not like that. And I want to shout about this. I want to talk about the openness of the African people. I want to talk about how we uh, were very embracing to homosexuality. I want to talk. And this week, the Pope was in Kenya, was in Kenya and Uganda last week, actually. Uh, and on the news, I was I laughed when when they talk, did a piece on the news. They said, uh, and the Pope went to remember the martyrs of Uganda who were killed by a local king. But what they did not say 
was that the martyrs, the Christian martyrs who were killed by a local king, the reason he killed them was because he, the king of the Buganda in 1870, was gay. He was gay. You know, he had sex with men. Nobody had a problem with it. He was okay with it. The people in Uganda were okay with it. No one had a problem with it until the Christians arrived. The Christians thought that he was morally repulsive. So they campaigned and wrote to the British government who burned homosexuality in Uganda. And what he did, because they disapproved with what he was doing and his lifestyle, he killed them. But they didn't do that piece on the, on the news on the BBC. Right. Yeah. And as you see, that history is suppressed. That we were okay with homosexuality, that you could have a king who was also openly gay, and nobody would even... We didn't even have a name for it. He was so normal that people did just thought, mm, you know, it's, it's, it's like he drinks coffee, I drink tea. You know, that's... Right. That, that was so accepted. And now it's... So we are portrayed, at like especially like Uganda, is now portrayed as the most homophobic place on earth. Mm. You know, and yet, you know, we've had a long history of homosexuality. Uh, we've had a long history of uh, boy, you know, like boy, boy brides, you know, uh, where guys would get married to men and they would pay bridal price and all of that. So we were very forward in our approach to homosexuality. And it's actually uh, the influence, the European influence in Africa that has, first of all, burnt that. They said, oh, they are homosexuals and that's bad. And then right. they burnt it. And then uh, so many years later, we were still like, oh, well, you know, whatever. And then now we have a lot of right-wing evangelical Christians in East Africa. Right. Uh, very, very racist American right-wing. And they're now in East Africa trying to turn people against homosexuality. And uh, so, but again, that bit of the story is not really told. They just told, oh my God, in Uganda, they, are, they hate homosexuals, and blah, blah, blah. But they're not saying that you have all these Christian evangelicals who are there preaching in villages. Like this guy, Scott Lively, he even gives, addresses parliament in Uganda, telling them, he's the one that told them about the law uh, on homosexuality in Uganda. So I, I feel like I have a lot to say. Yeah. I, and I, I want to use my African voice to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Your blogs, I'm, I'm, I'm reading your blogs and finding them very interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, and again, they make me feel awkward and complicated, as they should. Yeah. But I mean, like my understanding of, of, of the way colonialism has worked generally right across, you know, right across culture is that Britain and other colonial powers have imposed lots and lots of social norms on all of these countries. And then we've stepped back and gone, oh, look, look, they're terrible. You're Nothing weird. like us. Right. Nothing like us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so, and, and, an, and it's sort of like. It's, and it suggests that this country itself doesn't have loads of homophobia inside it, right, as well. And, yeah. the, the, and the, the, no matter if you're a person in this country yeah. who isn't homophobic, yeah. if you're benefiting from homophobia that this country has put into other countries across yeah. the world, then yeah. really, you know, you, you're benefiting from the proceeds of homophobia, if you yeah. like. Or, 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 I mean, not that there's any direct money that comes from that, but you control people by yeah. making them afraid of, of, se of sexuality. And well, that's, that's right. what, what we did. That, that's right. Uh, and uh, so homosexuality would still have been legal in, in Africa. 
in most of this, because they are basically reissuing the old laws that were put there by the British. And mm. I think that the distant thing to do is like, yes, we went round, we burned homosexuality in this country, so we, you know, but now, you know, people look at us weird, it's like, now nah, I, I just feel like, um, you know, I'm just going to dress like a Stone Age woman and fit the stereotype, <laughs> you know, <laughs> carrying my spear and just becoming like a... Re- no, no, obviously not. But it's just the, the portrayal. And, you know, the frustration of how we are portrayed. I, I remember having a twin throwing with, with a journalist from the BBC when he did a piece uh, on South Africa. And he said, uh, his piece, he, he was, it was talking about development in Africa, and he said... 20 years after their freedom, you know, they still have a lot of problems. Their education here is still the disparity in education. There's still a lot of problems. And I said, wow. Now, you need to think about 20 years in the context of economy. Yeah, 20 years is nothing. Right. Britain has been free, as far as I know, for 800 years. Right. Right. You still have children who cannot get into schools, you still have a million people on food banks, you still have all of these problems, and therefore you cannot go to a country like South Africa, who was systematically denied education. They were refused and denied education. The only education they got was simple arithmetic, so that they could serve their masters. And then you expect all of a sudden you're going to get these very educated people, you know, having been in this system of being suppressed. And you know what? South Africa might be free now, as most of Africa is, but we're still very held very, very, we're still strangled by, by Europe. You know, like, like uh, I, I did a show about like Coco. You know, everybody in, uh, most white people eat chocolate right. regularly. But when you think about the cocoa industry in West Africa, they are on their knees. They are so poor because they would not pay them enough money. And actually, these days now, they they kidnap children. And it's, nobody's outraged by this. They go to Burkina Faso. They go to Mali. They kidnap children, 60-year-old children. They take them to the cocoa farms. They are the ones who are harvesting the cocoa. And this cocoa, they pay nothing for it. And then it's taken to Europe. And then the Europeans add value. They make billions, make billions out of cocoa. Africa is still desperately poor. If if you go to look at places like Sierra Leone, the diamonds, the diamonds. Who, which Africans wears diamonds other than me? Obviously, yeah, because <laughs> I got engaged and married. But uh, most Africans don't wear diamonds. That country, and sometimes I just wish. The Europeans would hurry up and take all the resources from Africa and then leave the people alone. Because it's true, though, because if there was nothing in Africa, people would be happy. Mm. Like in, in Sierra Leone, they're still chopping the hands of people. And that was introduced by King Leopold II. He chopped the hands, they're still chopping hands off. Right. And you know what? They steal European elements that destabilize those countries. Because for as long as they, they are funding the rebels... The robots who are, who are using child soldiers, then there's not going to be peace and then it's easy to take the diamonds. Right. So there's a lot of instability and yeah. those, those people are funded. For example, like, you know, there was a report, I was reading this report, it said that British arms are sold to 19 of the 23 countries that use child soldiers. Now that's... That's right. despairing. Yeah, absolutely. That's despair. And someone said, actually, on the news the other day, and they nearly said, yes, that the worst thing that can happen to a country is discover oil. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Easily the worst thing that can happen to a country. And the worst thing that can happen to a country is to have minerals. So I hope that they can get the minerals out of Sierra Leone and maybe find somewhere else of green cocoa and just leave Africa to just recover from, you know, all of the brutality of colonialism. Right. And for example, even France will not leave West Africa. France has 3,000 soldiers in West Africa. What are they doing in West Africa? They say that they're helping the governments there. Which is why I, th- I found it quite difficult to see everybody changing their flags, their flags to yeah. you know their Facebook profiles to flags. That's right. Which is not to say that I don't have sympathy for the people who died in, in Paris, of yeah. course. But uh, I, I don't think that putting an imperial flag across your face is a good way of showing solidarity to those people. Some of those people who were killed in, in Paris as well were not necessarily, uh, uh, you know, will have had heritages which will have been colonialised as well. I mean, right. It wasn't just white people who sure. died. Yeah, but, but, but what nobody said the year before that is how many people were killed when France was bombing Mali. Nobody right. said how many people they killed there. Uh, nobody talks about how France charges all of its ex-colonial countries attacks for being colonized and they categorically say if you do not pay the tax we will pay for a coup you know they they threaten the safety and the welfare of the country to extort money out of it now that's exactly the same as the mafia so and this is the thing again europe will not leave africa to thrive and this is what is very uh disheartening for me because they said we will give them aid but nobody ever defines what aid is. Right. Nobody. You ask anybody. Like, for example, David Cameron will take away all the money from blind children in this country. He will take money from disabled. He'll take money from anyone. But he says, no, no, no. We have to maintain overseas aid. But what is overseas aid? Yep. Nobody says what it is. Right. Nobody knows what it is. Yeah. I know. I mean, and then when you look at uh, the ways that we've intervened in trying to give aid to Africa, those are very questionable in themselves. Yeah. Like everybody thinks like live aid and uh, comic relief and everything like that are so wonderful, uh-huh. um, but they're not. They've done terrible things. And if you, you know, I've done some reading about this and I, I've, you know, and I'm not saying it's intentional. No. I'm not saying that, you know, that Bob Geldof deliberately did no. this, but then they, there are, there is, there does come a culpability time when they, because they don't, they don't they deny they still deny once they get caught when they realize that they've done the wrong thing they still they still say they've done the right thing which is the worst this is it yeah you know there's nothing wrong in saying you know what i fucked up because the the best thing yeah the and i've said this before the best way to help someone is ask them how do you want to be helped and then they'll say actually i would like you to get me a cup of tea or whatever that's how the type of help i want but really this help is not even a help that is appreciated for example you know they they there was all of this stuff about you know sweatshops and you know children working in factories and stuff like that and everybody intervened but nobody wanted to find out the underlying cause as to why these children were out working and so what they did was they stopped these children from working and therefore the family starved right uh, whereas you could have gone and found out uh, and and there are th- philanthropists and i am massively you know you know enthralled and in awe of people there are very very many people who want to do good in the world mm. you know people like bill gates and uh, melinda gates they do a lot of very good work and i'm not saying that we are ungrateful to those people. But it is good to find out how to help people. For me, personally, I would like people to pressure the European government to uh, allow Africa to trade. Africa can't trade. Right. We cannot do trade. Like uh, when my father grew coffee, he did not receive a payment for coffee. 
Most people just despair. And it's the same with pyrethrum, which is what makes insecticides. It is the same as tea. It is the same as so many things that come from Africa. Sugar. You know, we are never paid a fair price. And this is why charities think, oh my God, let's call a fair trade thing. Let's call it fair trade. Right. And, and also there are very big charities that are very predatory. They want to use the negative image of Africa to raise money for themselves. Right. And therefore, is everybody in for themselves? And therefore, in the meanwhile, damaging the brand that Africa is. Right. I mean, and, and you know, Africa is so much of a, a confused brand to the world that, 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 I mean, so many people think of Africa as if it's a country rather than a continent, right? So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's got a lot to work against in terms of, uh, like, international um, perception. Yes. I mean... Which is persistent. And this is why, like, I, I, uh, I was messaging this guy and saying... Of all the places that you could have gone, you had to go to the worst place. And I'm forever arguing with people about this. Like, I was talking to some people, and they said, oh, we went to South Africa. And I was like, I was in South Africa. Isn't it incredible? The progress, the, you know, the roads are incredible. I was so amazed. They said, nah, we were very shocked by the disparity in wealth. Uh, We went to uh, an orphanage. And I thought, really? Were you looking for a baby? Right. And right. I, because I thought, okay, when you go to Paris, where do you go? When you go to New York, where do you go? Right. When you go to Brussels, where do you go? Yeah. But when you go to Africa, you go to an orphanage. Yeah. And if you come to London, do you go to look at the wealth disparity here? As well, that's the other <laughs> no. thing. Like, like, it's very easy for people to pass judgment on like wealth disparity but, disparity in other countries, but course. if it's on their own doorstep, yeah. they don't see it at all. You, you, you just need to go to Shepherd's Bush. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so was was all of the? I mean, oh, this obviously this is your this is your life in some ways. All of this stuff is part of of your life experience in yes. the world. But but I mean, you did. Were you thinking about it as strongly before your before this this moment when your father passed away? No, actually, I I knew. You know, at the back of my mind, you see something and then you get annoyed. Yeah, but but I never sat down and processed it quite in the same way. Uh, but it's only when I started to do research. I started to see how it is important for Africa to be portrayed in such a negative light and therefore modern colonialism can take place. Uh, I I began to understand it and I began to understand, you know, just how uh, we are fighting against the tide because I'm even surprised that Africa is developing at such a fast rate. And even then, nobody reports it. Nobody reports it. They're only waiting for a disease. You know, as soon as the disease comes out, they're all there, reporting on Ebola, all of this. But nobody talks about the, the growth, the economic growth. Right. Nobody talks about, you know, just how educated Africans are. Just how, you know, like if you go to a village, a poor village, and you ask a child in a poor village who is the president of the United States of America, they know. Who is, the, who is the Prime Minister of Britain, they know. So they're very, very engaged in world affairs. Right. Whereas if you, when, during my time in America, I was very surprised to know that most people did not even know where Africa was, let alone the president or the, of an African country. Right. So all of this is, is never portrayed. So I became aware as I was doing my research uh, and also just reading some anthro- anthropological stuff that was written on Africans, and I just, my God, you guys did not think much of us, did you? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we thought highly of you, but you uh, clearly didn't think much of us. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, anthropological stuff. <laughs> It's painful in lots yeah. of, for for all sorts of reasons for all sorts of people to yeah. read. Yeah. You're d- and when that when that happened, what you directly found out and what you directly looked at and talked about in the first of these three shows that we've kind of we're talking about is was about what what happened in 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 Kenya, like in in the, in, in your country of origin, and I mean, and that's so recent. Yeah, like that's what's amazing to me how yes. recent that yes. is. And and some of the uh, not some of the body was all the bodies uh, from all that massacre are still in place. Some of them are in the in the Nairobi Museum. Can you imagine that people who then their bodies like you know we know so many people who are alive who are you know born in the sixties in the fifties and the sixties and their those their mothers or their fathers are still archives that were donated to Dr. Licky and they are still in the Nairobi Museum and they haven't, people, I suppose people, and also don't forget that uh, when Kenya became independent, uh, the British said, you cannot do this history, you cannot teach this history, so children, people in Kenya don't even know this, this history. Well, I didn't know about it. I know my mum used to say, oh, you know, in the olden days things were hard and I was like, oh, yeah, I know, she's always talking about it. It's only when I sat down and I thought, shit, Yes, that that that's gotta be hard. Right. Yeah, because you just think how oh, old people are always talking about olden days, or they were they were always hard and whatever. But um, people don't know this history. No, they don't. They they don't know this this, this well, and I can see why they wanted to suppress it. And in Africa in general, people don't get the bigger picture of colonialism. You know, they just think this is what happened, but they don't get that bigger picture. Uh, they don't get the bigger picture about who was behind all the coups because Africa, we had coup after coup after coup after coup. We didn't know much about that. We just thought Africans like fighting each other. Right. No, they don't. It is because they are funded, they, and they still do. They, they will go and fund. I mean, this is what you can see in the Middle East. Right. You know, they helped the rebels, they fund them, they give them arms, they give them this, and then they, they want them to do the dirty work. And this is what's always happened. And therefore, the more unscrupulous the leader of a rebel group, the higher the chance of him becoming leader, because then that, that they, it puts them in a place where they're going to be now the right people to deal with in order to suppress their own people brutally, like Idi Amin. Idi Amin was put in place in this exactly the same way. He used mm-hmm. to work for the British Army. And uh, he brutalized his country to such a degree. But even they knew he was a beast when they put him in place. My, my dad opened a shop. <laughs> he was fearless. He opened a shop in Kampala during those days. Wow. Was, yeah, was, the, the train used to go past and they could see all these people hanging on trees, the door being <laughs> It was just brutal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and and that's I mean, and that's the that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting to me that this kind of genocide really yeah. that was 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 done by Britain happened so recently, and yet all we learn about in this country about genocide <laughs> is we learn about the Holocaust, which I'm not saying I'm not you know it's not it's not a genocide competition. Yeah. But, but we, you know, we, we learn about that as the last, right? That's the last terrible thing that that's, people have done. That's right. Oh, those are the Germans were so bad. And and we're doing it, you know, we're, when, we're, in fact, in, the, yeah, in, that, in that time, in the, people will have been sitting in schools learning about the last genocide as the genocide is happening on our behalf. Like, the, the, the reason I cannot, uh, I, I feel so upset when I look at the Queen is because 
1952, she went to Kenya on her honeymoon. In 1952. In 1952, my mother and all her family were all arrested and they were taken to a field. They were kept there for days on end. And it, it was raining, it was cold, they had to sleep on the outside for days on end. And that was the beginning of the concentration camps. And the queen was on holiday in Kenya on her honeymoon. Right. And yet my family were being tortured and raped and beaten. And I, I cannot, I cannot understand how she would represent that. I, I don't, I can't see it. And no matter how much I try to, to, to think, you know, she, she has no power, I just think she would have known what was happening in Kenya. She would have been head of what was happening in Kenya with all those m people. And this is personal to me, you know, having seen uh, my and my mother just describing what happened to them. It's just, I, I cannot comprehend it. I just can't. Right. And um, I, I cannot see how an institution like that can be responsible for the suffering of so many and still be revered right yeah, yeah no i mean me neither i'm i'm i i mean i guess i don't know i try yeah. i try to work out how you like i try to work out how to to empathize with these th th those are the hardest people for me to empathize with so, <laughs> so like actually someone who's brutal who's done terrible things i can understand often much more yeah because of people who are brutal have been brutalized Themselves. generally speaking sure uh, or it's all they know yeah exactly i mean but it's very hard to understand kind of people in this kind of super privileged position yeah. just turning a blind eye and yet there's something in me that doesn't want to rule rule them like like kick them out of humanity sure, either sure. um but they don't do the same for others they they kick others out of out I of know. humanity so it's it's a difficult thing to sort of defend them i mean i think when i look at the queen i think like i can't not see the empire all around like i don't understand how people can just yeah. sort of like th not think of that i know and yesterday as well i was listening to the radio and they said in canada they're now going to recognize the ethnic people and they're going to investigate why so many of the ethnic people in canada have been killed and that they have been treated as subhuman it still goes on look at australia look at their aborigines mm -hmm. it still goes on and and you know uh, and there's almost this blatant ignore that oh they're just you know the natives you know and these people still go through tremendous suffering right. so that is happening as we speak today right. at least in kenya that came to an end you know we fought to i say we fought to the nail but and also what the the, the propaganda that was thrown at the time around the freedom fighters still has affected them to this day in Kenya. They were called terrorists, they were called names, that to this day the people growing up in Kenya would think of them as terrorists. But they were never terrorists. These are people fighting for their freedom. You know? These are people who saw no hope. And um you know like my, my grandmother she was in a very in in a in a typical divide and rule picture. If you wanted to cut a slice of what divide and rule means, my grandmother bang right in the middle. Her younger brother joined the Mau Mau because of the hopelessness and helplessness of his situation. The older brother uh, joined the missionaries, and uh, he was trained how to go to ethnic women who had 
cut their ears in order to wear ear ornaments, like they pierce their ears, they can wear cowrie shells and ornaments. His job was to go and stitch them back, so erasing cultural. Yeah. Uh, I know. So, so and my grandmother is right in the middle, and so the missionaries were hell bent on on uh, rubbing out in the cultural identity of the Kikuyu. And this is why when you look at the tribes of Kenya, the Kikuyu are the ones who have lost a lot of their identity because of the role of the missionaries. So for example, the Maasai still hold on to their the way, way of dress, the ears and everything, but ours was completely rubbed out by the missionaries. So they're there posing as do-gooders, but they're there to e eradicate the cultural blueprint of the, of the Kikuyu society. And that's very sad that the church, again, which is Christianity is obviously superior, that can cause so much damage mm. to our people. It, there's so much damage that has happened in the past, but then it's not like it's stopped. I mean, <laughs> this is very true, what you yeah. say. Like, if you look at, as you say, if you look at the Middle, Middle East, yeah. this is the case. But you can even, like you say, yeah. see uh, the terrible racism within Australia, within, you know, pretty much anywhere that's been colonised yeah. has, been, has been damaged in some way. Yeah. The way that it's been damaged yeah. differs yeah. for different places, but we're still doing it in different ways, yeah. um, under different names often. Of course. Of course. But I mean, I mean, I don't know, what, what, what do you see as like, how do, you, how do we undo this? <laughs> like, how do we, put, you know? Well, only time is a healer. Because what is happening in the world today is uh, very interesting for me. The power of China is what is going to be the new norm mm. because the influence of Europeans in Africa is waning. And especially now, they're, they're all focusing on the Middle East. In the, mid, in the meantime, Africa is quietly developing really, really fast. <laughs> you, you know, like if you, go, if you go to Kenya or even South Africa, I mean, the development is just like astronomical because we're everybody we're all willer dealers businesses and all of that stuff people everywhere so that's that and then of course there are china and india and uh, you know south america they've become very strong now we've, they've got a bank so replacing the world bank the shambolic world bank oh my god so now they they, they are doing fair lending you know fair lending basically lending people certain responsible people obviously there's always going to be corruption where isn't there corruption even here there's yeah. a lot of corruption there is a lot, yeah. but 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 it's a more responsible lending where you have the competition for the world bank because the world bank all they've ever done was reinforced slavery reinforced colonialism because they loaned us money like the money most of africa got loaned they they took a leader like Idi Amin, and they said now now that you're a new country we're going to lend you money for development so we're going to give you, I don't know, $60,000 trillion. And uh, obviously this money, you know, he, they know that he's going to keep a stash of it. Where is it going to be kept? In Switzerland, <laughs> in Europe, generating money. Right. So, so it's all. And then they say, you know what, now we're going to have to put your country, like in Zambia, Zambia. That what is happening today in Zambia is so bad. And I don't even know why people don't know about it. They did the same in Zambia. They loaned them un uh, just a phenomenal amount of money. And then the Zambia could not repay the money. And so they said, you need to cut down on education, on health, everything, so that you can repay us the money. They couldn't, so they were put on special measures. You know what the special measures were? Were to sell their natural resources, copper. 
and you know how copper has been very 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 expensive so their natural resources have been taken over and therefore Zambia will never ever use its own natural resources right. to help its people and yet we still get aid right I mean, cancelling cancelling debt would be a good way to to, to sort out some things. Yeah, uh, but, stopping, but getting rid stopping, of the World Bank. Yeah, right. Getting rid of the World Bank <laughs> yeah. is again an, a, another good thing to do that can be done. I mean, we could stop, you know, bombing and colonizing countries. That would help. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I, I guess an interesting thing though about you thinking about all of the terrible things that have happened in the past and currently mm. is that it, it has meant that you've reassessed your relationship with a very complicated person in your life your father like in the yeah I mean that's in, that's very interesting to me on lots of yeah. le- like a, on a personal level I've yeah. I'm sp- sort of spending my life yeah. trying to trying to make peace with my own kind of complicated relationship with a parent. Although, you know, I don't mean to say it's comparable because it never is and it's completely different. Well, but you know what? Um, Suffering is suffering. Whatever the circumstance is still the same. So Mm. if you feel that that, uh, perhaps your relationship with your parent was was difficult and you suffered, suffering is suffering. Sure. Yeah, and and I cannot say that my suffering was worse than yours. I can't. Who am I to say that? Just more shocking, probably. Well, I mean, I think you know. I mean, exactly. I think getting into the idea of of whose is worse is is is, is a mistake. Yeah. Um. All I mean, all I'm doing is sort of just flagging up that they're sure. very different circumstances, sure. and I wouldn't want people to assume, you know, whatever they might assume about either of us. Yeah. And and I've come through, you know, process with both my mum and my stepdad of yeah. getting to a point where I do kind of forgive them or sure. understand them. Sure, and that's and that sort of thing. Yes. Um. But I mean, it's 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 really interesting to me that. That this journey for you has been like one that you know by finding out about so much yeah. other violence, yes. it kind of helped you understand the violence you'd experienced. I guess it's just yeah, it's like um, how can I just say it's it's one of those things that you just find yourself in a situation. You know, it's like if say you are at a bus stop and somebody got stabbed at a bus stop and you are the key witness, and then you're. You're forced by circumstance to be in that place, you know, and then you're supposed to, you're, you're forced to uh, reevaluate the situation, and and you need to have a, a bigger understanding of, of the of everything, mm. and this is what it has brought me into this place, and um, it's it's been very interesting for my husband to see this as well because he said you have changed, and I I cannot I cannot unlearn what I have learned, mm. I cannot unsee. Uh, and, and understand I cannot go back to that person who did not see who did not understand I cannot but I feel by writing about this by blogging about it uh, hopefully generations then will come back and they will read about it and they say ah so here's some here's something that was written about it and, and especially uh, African writers we are very there's not many of us African writers when when I've, I have approached so many publishers and I remember one publisher wrote back to me and said, it's unlikely anyone would ever want to hear your story. What the hell is that? I mean, don't understand it. <laughs> because it's... It, it, I mean, that's not true on lots of levels. Yes. But, but, but the thing is, there are so few African voices in yes. this country talking about these things. But isn't that a selling point? I don't I understand that. Yeah. Surely everyone wants to hear your story because we've all heard the other stories so many times. This one, not, not, not yet. But, but, but do you know what? Even if somebody lives in a hole, 
somebody would want to hear that story. Right. So right, you kind right, of right, say, right. isn't it? They would want to know how did you end up in a hole? So how do you leave? You know, you cannot say nobody is ever interested in reading your story. Well, absolutely. Uh, and uh, I just said, oh, thank you very much, and thank you for your kind feedback, and all the best. Because I thought you don't know me. Even if I, I I'm going to publish this book by myself, I will do it, and and you will look at this book. <laughs> Luckily, touch wood. There's somebody who who likes it, and hope well, hopefully we, we we can get it published. Yeah. I, I I hope we can. And there are other people I've met. You know, like I I met you, and I met other people who keep encouraging me. Like uh, there's people at the Univ- Edinburgh University who keep saying when the book is written right. not if when the book is written yeah. bring it here we'll help you publicize it and stuff like that because there are people who want to hear you know there are people who want to keep an open mind about about history and it's that it's history and therefore but I suppose people uh, you know institutions don't, don't want to acknowledge that yeah it's, um, it's definitely tricky I think yeah. wanting to make stuff that criticises the, the <laughs> world that you want to pay you yeah. I, I find, I find yeah. that a little bit with, with some of the stuff I do it's like yeah. you know I, I want to do my, my, my solo show about masculinity in yeah. schools and stuff yeah. but it's kind of you know saying that the entire system is problematic and so for, for, a, for, for an institution to, mm. to do that in itself is, is yeah. I don't know it's, hard, but, it's but, a hard sell <laughs> but you know what it's a hard sell for now but you will get there mm-hmm. simply because I know, like I was just chatting earlier with some people and they were saying that people who are likely to kill themselves most are men for that reason. You know, you're, you're, you're expected to be a certain, you know, man. Right. You know, that brings, you go home and, I don't know, you go out and shoot and bring home the bacon. Mm-hmm. But it's not that clear cut. Nobody, you know, these these gender roles do not fit into the glove compartments that they are put there. And I'm sure there are many boys who feel what you do. Definitely. They, my, they definitely are. Yeah, my, my own brothers, you know, they, they were brought up by a very violent father and they were emasculated and and, and how they, there are many people like that. Um, right. So they, and they, there are many, many, many boys who, who perhaps are not sure about their sexuality, who are not sure about themselves and but but they have to be big men and there's there's a huge arena for 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 your show uh, obviously we still live in a very patriarchal world where you know men are but just some men not all men yeah well that's true but also i think living in a patriarchal world means that that all of the men have been <laughs> you know are being conditioned to be patriarchs and we're not all naturally that way. Yeah. And the way that you make someone a patriarch or, like, is to make them, is to, you know, be violent to them or make them say that they can't express themselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, women are also influenced by patriarchy. Like, the, the, the all genders are sort of like, we're all attacking each other with someone else's weapons that we've been given. We didn't, we, you know, none of us want to be hitting each other with these sticks, but we're hitting each other anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. I wanted to write a blog. I haven't managed to write one last week or this week. I've just been so busy. I wanted to write a blog about the role of women in suppressing women uh, because women can be very, can, can be pivotal in suppressing other women. I mean, look at Margaret Thatcher. Right. <laughs> what did she do for women? Right. You know, <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. You, you, do you want to get it? Uh, yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> no, that's not that's not at all a problem. 
I like. I mean, I like it when things are like. I like the kind of. For me, these are kind of like snatched moments, you know, real moments. Yeah. So it's quite nice when real things happen, like phone calls. <laughs> but yeah, Margaret Thatcher is a good example of how women definitely uh, don't always Lost do that. right. What is what? I mean, this is the thing that that I see a lot of in general when 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 people are saying about how women now have equality, they're often saying there's a, there's some women who are also treating women and men badly <laughs> in a powerful position I, I, isn't I, I, that great and it's not great no because the power position that they're in is not a great position for anyone to be in and and the thing is that that is so true women are maybe because and and i see that this as well even amongst races because you you find there was a big uh, controversy about a, a very f- uh, famous club yeah, where this very dark african dude tells people, who, women who are dark, not to go in. And I'm right. like, dude, first of all, you're African, you're very dark yourself, what are you doing? But it's again, where you are conditioned to constantly hate yourself or think of yourselves as a lower status, and therefore you're the object of suppression. Right. And it's the same with the women. So you find that the, 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 and, and, and it's the same everywhere, even in the comedy, comedy industry, you find that, you know, some, some, Men are the ones who are more welcoming to other women than women bookers. Women bookers sometimes they they are, are unwilling to give you a chance right. as as a woman, and you think, gosh, you know. So you know, so women can be very uh, pivotal to the right. suppression of other women. I mean, and I think you know, and by and also along those lines, you know, men are entirely pivotal to the suppression of men. Like yeah. uh, the the it's always men policing other men and how to be men. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. I, I assume that the same thing is the case for women. Yeah, yeah. And also, and also, I think it's it's also different for a woman as well because if they if they support other women, which I agree they should do. Yeah they also often lose their own power. Like in the, the, the if they help some other yeah. women then they look weaker yeah, and then yeah. they don't want to look weaker. Yeah. They've, they've worked very hard to look strong and patriarchal. But, yeah, but this is it. And if you look at very, very powerful women, often, like I think it was a French uh, justice minister who gave birth and within five days she'd gone back to work, you know, uh, by dehumanising herself in order to look hard in mm. the workplace is the way to fit into that stereotype of what men do. But then I know that there are so many men who don't want to go back to work when right. they have babies. Right. Yeah, there, there are men who want to stay home and look after their babies because they, they feel they want to spend time with their family. Right. I actually met a surgeon who, were, you know, consultant sergeant, so a very, you know, high-up person. And when his wife had a baby, they said, I am quitting my job. Because I want to see my baby and my wife. So there are men. So yeah. those, those are not the hard men who work no. all the hours and all of that so that is expected. So this guy gave up a very, very nice job. I'm sure he'll be all right, you know. But he gave up a very nice job in order to spend time with his family. So right. acceptance that also men have those needs, you know. So you, you, they are not all these neat compartments. No, absolutely. I mean, I was a lot. You know, in many ways, I was brought up by my dad. So, yeah. um, and I, you know, I, that in that in that respect, I'm very lucky. So, I have yes. a complicated relationship with my mum and my okay. stepdad. But I, but but in but with my dad, I have a very good relationship. Oh. So it's nice. It's nice to have that. Yes. Um, and in, in a way, I think I often think of my 
like what what I would you know if I hadn't had that half like if at least I had a good half like yes. I know so many people who had no good halves right yeah. it's 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 lucky yeah. you know we were comparing stories you know my story and yours is very comparable because my 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 father was really brutal and then he married someone who was like that so really brutal but it's only because I left and went to live with my mother right that I am okay you know yeah because my mother was very nice. Uh, but had my mother not been there, I, I, I would probably have been dead by now. Right. Know? So it was kind of very similar, but, you know, the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I think I probably would have... I, I, I guess where it's different is I probably wouldn't have been dead by now, yeah. but I probably would have been much more fucked up than I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. horses for courses. Yeah, but, sure. but, so, yeah, I mean... So the last thing that I uh, that I ask everybody, and it's, no, before I before I before I ask this question, I should also say it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted uh, with you today. Thank you. I mean, thank you very much for let, for inviting me to your home. Your home's very nice. Thank um, you. I've I've been thinking like it's a very nice place to have a, a, a conversation about very dark and complicated. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, and thank you very much for your hospitality. Oh, you're so and, welcome. Uh, you know, although we were we were eating chocolate, right? I, yeah, I know, I know. And uh, do you know what is so hypocritical? As, as we were talking about the, the, the oppression of, of the little boys working, we just indulged in right. the chocolate in cake. Chocolate. Yeah. Well, they, you know, it was bought for you by a production company, yes. so in a way, you know, the, the, you didn't do the damage. You no. just, you might as well. I just eat, ate it. Eat it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the last question that I ask everybody is: Do you have anything to plug? Yes, I am plugging this way in advance. I want everybody to read my blogs and I, I've got so many in the pipeline. I've got so many w- waiting. Uh, the, the next one I'm going to do, I, uh, I'm going to try, it's not all going to be bad news, it's going to be good news as well. So I'm writing about uh, the fashionistas of the Congo. So that's not going to be my next one because when okay. you think of Congo, you don't think about fashionistas. Yeah. And this is a new, they're called Congo dandies. They're just like people who are massively into a fashion so that's going to be my next blog and I'm going to be blogging a lot about different aspects of uh, captions of Africanness that most people don't know about so you know, some, some of it is going to be dark some of it is going to be light hearted some of it is a mixture of everything right. because life doesn't fit into one niche draw it's a bit of everything so that's, that's my blog my blog uh, can be accessed from my website which is dot jambimcgrath.co.uk so you can read my blogs on my website uh, why don't you like my Facebook page which is Jambi McGrath Comedy follow me on Twitter which is at Jambi1 and, uh, uh, and I'm on Instagram as well I'm the hot African <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to put way more pictures on there so you can like them and then look out for my book yeah. <laughs> look out for my book it's going to be at least uh, another year before it's out. But the, the, the more you look out for it, the better it will be. Absolutely. Yes. And also, if you're coming to Edinburgh, uh, I am going to be taking my show, The Last Dance with My Father. Yeah, I mean, and, and all of those, I'll put links to all of those Thank in the show you. notes, as I, as I always do with the yeah. things that people plug. Yeah. And we're, we're, I mean, I'm going to put this out probably, um, when will it come out? It's probably going to come out at the beginning of February, because it'll come out just before we do a gig together. Oh, fantastic, um, yes. Yeah, because I mean, I'm doing another showing of my, my show about yeah. uh, masculinity, yeah. and this time it's going to be uh, before, with, well, with you afterwards, fantastic. doing your show, yes. which, I mean, I guess it's going to be a very early 
preview for everywhere yes. by that at that point. It is going to be very, very. Uh, I'll be using my notes. Uh, I, I don't know how many jokes there will be, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it, so you can expect like you know roller coaster. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, laughter, some tears, and all of that stuff. Yeah. But I am going to be so excited to see your show because yeah. I try to see it in Edinburgh, and of course, it's always crazy in Edinburgh yeah. because I had several. I was doing several shows, so no matter how much I tried to see at the shows, I couldn't. And then I wanted to see it, and now uh, you have given me the chance to see it again <laughs> and sit down and relax and see it so I look forward to that well I'm looking forward to seeing uh, your new show I mean I saw a little uh, height like a little development of it at, yeah. when, at night we did with Spark about mental yes. health stuff and, yeah. uh, and multicultural yes. uh, experiences um, so I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of it I think it's on the 18th of February but I may have to put a correction on at the end yeah yeah, um, I think it is yeah. there we go we're, we're both we're both semi-certain <laughs> yeah. that that's the date that we're doing it yeah um, so yeah come along and see us there um, the last thing that I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience goodbye audience uh, thank you so much for listening and please keep supporting Dave because he is the nicest person you will ever know and he's the best thank you very much well uh, I don't know if I sign off on being the nicest person you'll ever know but <laughs> goodbye everybody <laughs> talking about supporting what I do as well as coming to the live show and supporting both Jambi and me You can also support Getting Better Acquainted financially. There's a donate button on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. Click on that and it will take you to the PayPal donation site where you can choose how much money you can give to me. And whether it's big or whether it's small, it's very, very appreciated. And it helps me to make the show you're listening to. That conversation was recorded a few months ago, so current affairs have changed since then. And since we were talking slightly about current affairs, of course, keep that in mind. We're going to be at the Dog Star in Brixton as Stand Up Tragedy presents doing our solo shows on the 18th of February at the Dog Star in Brixton. And it'd be amazing to see you there. So come out and see us if you're in the London area. It won't cost you anything necessarily if you don't want it to. And it would be great to have a really big audience for those shows because both of them have things that could speak to a lot of people. But it's just getting people to find out about it. So come along and also spread the word if you can. Let people know about what we're doing and get them along to see the shows. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.